You're listening to Indigenous Boom, a podcast by the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chief Secretariat, featuring conversations on Indigenous health, education, and economic prosperity. Now your host, Krista Thompson. Today on our episode of Indigenous Boom, we're speaking with the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority, AFNWA. The AFNWA is a not-for-profit pan-Atlantic water utility that's owned and operated for First Nations by First Nations. Their goal is to provide clean drinking water and safe wastewater services for participating First Nation communities. Thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time today to talk to us. Could you please tell us about yourself? Thank you for having us. Yes, indeed. Always a, an opportunity to, uh, to get our message out, so we appreciate the, that very much. Great. So my, my name is James McKinnon. I am the Interim Chief Operating Officer at the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority. Uh, I've been with the development of the authority for quite some time. Um, as you know, that the Water Authority as an organization was developed uh, under the Atlantic Policy Congress. So I started with APC uh, in 2012 as a junior analyst and worked on the development of the Water Authority up until, time, up until uh, it was time for the Water Authority to stand on its own two feet. Uh, so in 2019, uh, I was seconded to the Water Authority uh, to work on it directly, uh, and uh, and I've been with uh, the Water Authority ever since. Excellent, and we're glad to have him. And uh, my name is uh, Carl Yates, and I'm the Interim Chief Executive Officer as of June last year. So I came on board formally with Lang First Nations Water, Water Authority a year ago. But I have been involved in the project um, as a consultant serving APC. And that in that role, I was the general manager of Halifax Water. And of course, we provided some advice on governance and organizational structure and uh, an understanding of you know, how a regulated utility operates. So uh, it's been a good journey so far. And uh, please, that uh, James has been uh, with me on that journey all the way. So uh, I got to know James, obviously, uh, as a result of the work that we, uh, we did together. That's excellent. And from what I hear, we're very lucky to have you. So, um, oh, oh dear. Well, I'm uh, such expectations, but I hope we all, uh, both James and I will make a difference. We'll, we'll hope. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm just going to jump in. Um, so, who is the AFNWA? And how is the AFNWA supporting clean, safe, and reliable drinking water for Atlantic First Nation communities? Well, perhaps I'll take it at a high level as well, and certainly James can uh, chime in with some additional details. But uh, in essence, the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority is a, a pan-Atlantic utility to look after water and wastewater systems within First Nation communities. Currently, we've got, I'd say, well, 15 communities that are uh, showing definite interest in uh, joining the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority, either by passing ban council resolutions or by participating in some of the engineering studies that we currently have underway. So our goal is to basically own, operate and maintain uh, water and wastewater systems within the communities that participate with a basically long-term view to their sustainable management. So what's different, you can say, well, why, what is so different about this? Well, what this means is really to, to take control uh, of First Nation uh, systems for First Nations by First Nations to basically have a nation-to-nation -nation 
relationship in the service delivery and, and, and funding arrangements, basically to bypass the current uh, relationship with Indigenous Services Canada. So in essence, we want to try to have a more direct relationship with the utility and communities, and again with uh, uh, the federal government uh, in Ottawa. So that's and a quick snapshot right there. So James, uh, any details you want to add? I, I just I just want to want to want to add that uh, uh, the, the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority wouldn't only be serving communities that. Uh, have their own water wastewater system, but also ones that receive water from a, a, a neighboring municipality. So uh, those agreements are called municipal transfer agreements, and it's proposed that the Atlantic First Nation Water Authority would become the holder of those agreements and negotiate those uh, on the community's be behalf with, with their uh, professional staff uh, leading those negotiations. And just to add uh, a little bit further on some of Carl's comments on on bypassing uh, ISC and, and building a long, kind of a long-term view plane for, for communities. Uh, the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority signed a framework agreement last summer. Uh, two major points uh, that I, I bring up in this agreement is, one, it agreed uh, with the federal government and the AFNWA to pursue uh, a long-term funding ar arrangement. Well, uh, it, instead of the year over year capital arrangements that are currently seen in communities, we will be looking at a long-term view plane for funding water and wastewater assets. And the second is that uh, there will be a transfer of responsibility from the Minister of Indigenous Services Canada over to the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority for the design, funding, and operation of uh, water and wastewater systems. That's great. Um... I, I, I didn't really understand that and I wasn't sure if you just automatically took over or this was something that you had to um, negotiate. So you have to negotiate with all of the communities who are interested in joining. Um, so currently, how, um, how is the water and wastewater regulated in communities now without your participation? Yeah, well, certainly today it's a, it's a bit of a uh, I guess a mixed bag that's actually happening on the ground. Uh, there's probably more formality with regard to wastewater, so that's perhaps where we'll start there. There are national standards that all municipalities and First Nations communities uh, are to adhere to, and they are basically the uh, municipal wastewater system effluent regulations, which are regulated through Environment uh, and Climate Change Canada. So that is basically a setup today, although I should point out that um, based on a discharge volume, some have more compliance requirements than others. And I just, I know that's a technical thing, but it's important to uh, establish. And basically that's based on the volume of the treatment plant that may uh, discharge the effluent. So basically if a community has got greater than 100 cubic meters per day, they fall squarely on, underneath all of the requirements of those, those regulations. But there are still, of course, stipulations for smaller systems that still must abide by uh, regulations under the Fisheries Act. And that, of course, is the basic principle that you should not release deleterious substances uh, into the environment, which is a, a lovely large word, deleterious, but uh, basically something that can cause damage to the, the flora and, and fauna uh, where the effluent is, is discharged. So wastewater generally has a fairly you know, formal approach uh, today. The big piece that's missing is around drinking water. 
And that stems from a, a couple of issues, I guess, uh, with our national fabric. Uh, to start, of course, way the constitution is set up, um, provinces have that direct responsibility for monitoring water quality. So water resources today falls under provincial jurisdiction as a constitution. However, that doesn't quite work right for First Nations because they're not bound by provincial legislation. And in our case, we have communities in three provinces. And as you can expect, each province has a different approach. And many of them do, I can say, adopt some very good standards as part of the regulations. And the standards uh, you'll see me refer to from time to time is the Canadian uh, Drinking Water Quality uh, Guidelines. And I use the word guidelines there because of our constitution. They're actually produced by Health Canada through consultation with provinces, but they don't become, should we say, statute or law unless a province says so. And not all provinces have necessarily adopted, you know, holistically the Canadian Drinking Water Quality Guidelines. So it's a bit of a, you know, I'll say as well, it's a bit of a, a patch uh, work process across the country, actually, in regard to which uh, standards uh, that provinces adopt. So quite a variation from one, one province to the other. So if we're going to look for some standardization, you know, I'll suggest in colonial uh, towns and municipalities, we're not going to find it either. So what we would like to do, of course, as, as the utilities, we'd like to have, um, you know, at, at, in a perfect world, some um, federal kind of uh, agency or some First Nations agency with a national mandate to someday be in that role. And I'm pleased to say there are other agencies that look after a lot of the, should we say, economic and financial measures for, for First Nations communities, like uh, the agencies under the Fiscal Management Act. Uh, so, you know, what we'd like to see from a visionary perspective down the road is probably have more of a federal or a national regulator that has strong uh, First Nation understanding and, and, uh, and can work with us uh, over time. But not surprisingly, we would look at the Canadian Drinking Water Quality Guidelines as a, a, an overall standard that we'd like to adhere to because, I'll name it, it is the highest standard in the land. And we see that there's no reason why First Nations communities can't uh, be in the same position as the leading municipalities in the country, which also adopt those guidelines as the standard. So our vision is to be at that location. Now, we're not quite there yet. There's no question. Uh, and some, again, uh, communities are in better shape than, than others. But our job as, as a First Nation Water Authority is to make sure that all communities are brought back up to that high standard so that everybody can have that consistent level of service. It doesn't matter if you're in uh, Lennox Island, Eskazoni, or Elsie-Buktuk, you should all have that expectation of the same high standard for, for drinking water. So that is really the, the I guess the, the uncharted uh, territory that we're in right now, where we're kind of blazing a trail in that regard to try to find the right balance with, uh, with regulations and the right uh, relationship to have with uh, the, the federal government and the first communities that, uh, first nation communities that we serve. I should point out as well though, in addition to adopting regulations, which are more looking at, should we say, I call it, you know, end of pipe uh, monitoring. In other words, what comes out of the pipe at the end, everybody takes samples and they check it against the regulations. We understand its importance, but we also want to include and integrate with the utility more proactive and preventative action. And that is through the development of water safety and sanitation safety plans. 
And these are more of a, you look at it more of a QAQC approach, quality assurance, quality control, to make sure that we do everything in our, in our, in our power and our mandate to put things in place such that when tests are taken downstream at, you know, at the pipe discharges, either at a tap in a person's home or discharge from a pipe into the environment, it should be basically second nature that these results should be good. So we're going to try to spend more time, should we say, upstream to assess the risks that we face and put in procedures and use well-trained staff to adopt best practices to minimize risk. So it's really looking at more in a, in a proactive manner versus a reactive manner. So we're going to integrate uh, water and sanitation safety plans as our kind of way to operate uh, as a progressive utility. Um, are you offering the support of um, the knowledge and the training and things to all the communities or just to the communities that are, are signed up? Well, interesting enough, right now we're offering training uh, opportunities to all. Uh, we'll certainly have to cross that, that bridge when, when, we, when we get to it, once we have uh, a, you know, a final slate of communities that are, that are part of the, the utility. But I'm pleased to say even today, and we made this very clear, we're going to provide opportunities for, for all who are involved in water operations, uh, water and wastewater operations. For instance, uh, we're right now have a, a formal program to support operators uh, attain their certification levels. And this is important both from a regulatory um, perspective, but also from a water and sanitation safety plan perspective. It covers both. Both require well-trained operators to operate your systems. So we're working with operators now to provide any type of training they wish to take, either through online or in class, of course, when, when, when available, recognizing that COVID has certainly put somewhat of a, a damper uh, on that. And uh, we're supporting them even to the point if they want to have one-on-one -on -one tutoring to you know, help bring up, say, their math skills or chemistry skills, we will also do that. So whatever works for the operator, we are going to support. So that's uh, fully, uh, fully underway for any operator that uh, is within Atlantic Canada now that's uh, looking for that, uh, that assistance. But certainly once they're hired with the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority, we would actually have uh, you know, basically career development for each employee. So we would expect, you know, in addition to certification, there's other courses and other offerings to help our operators you know, understand the systems they operate and basically contribute to, to the utility on a go-forward basis. Carl, I, I, I just wanted to add on, <clears throat> excuse me, on the, on the regulatory side uh, and, and uh, drinking water oversight within the communities, I think it's important to note that uh, the communities today do have uh, uh, the community-based water monitoring uh, program, and, and those are community, community members that are trained to take water samples uh, and, um, and have them analyzed and, and then report those back on a system called water tracks, which uh, gives historical data on the quality of water. So I just wanted to, uh, to make sure we mention the, the community-based water monitors and, and the good work they do. Uh, and the other piece I think is important on regulation is um, at the national level, uh, the Safe Drinking Water for First Nations Act uh, is currently being uh, is currently being reworked uh, at the Assembly of First Nations. There's a strategy to repeal and replace the act. There were a number of provisions that were identified by the AFN as, as potentially problematic, uh, and they're uh, reworking that act uh, and and hopefully having it. Uh, 
the one, current one repealed and a new one replaced. And that's important to note on regulation because the act itself today allows for regulations to be enforceable regulations to be developed uh, regionally. So a little bit of history even with the Water Authority is uh, back in 2013, uh, the chiefs had approved, the Atlantic chiefs through the Atlantic Policy Congress, through an all chiefs resolution, approved a set of comprehensive regulations that took the most stringent standards from Newfoundland, uh, uh, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and PEI, um, and, and submitted them to the, the federal government um, for for potential regulations. Uh, so uh, unfortunately with the, with the uh, act uh, kind of being uh, stalled going forward, uh, those regulations are, are, were kind of didn't go any further either, but uh, we're, we're looking to re-engage on, on those now uh, this year. So do any of our um, Atlantic communities have any long-term water advisories? Uh, right now, not to my understanding, um, there's certainly we know a, a few issues, but I'd have to say overall, uh, drinking water is in better shape than, than wastewater. So I'd say, you know, most I think of the focus will be in wastewater. However, we know there are some uh, issues uh, around drinking water that we've got to work on. And, uh, and, and James just raised a good point about, you know, some of the projects that we're working on. And one of them is to look at that regulatory uh, framework that was developed back in 2012, 2013 uh, by the Center for Water Resources uh, by engaging, of course, communities at the time, we need to bring that up to date because a lot has changed uh, since 2012 in terms of uh, new issues that uh, utilities had to face in terms of provision of safe drinking water. And to name a few, uh, things like, for instance, uh, lead. Lead has become a, a significant issue. You, you've seen that in the news. Uh, other things like cyanotoxins also. This comes from uh, blue-green algae, and you hear much more lately about uh, outbreaks of uh, blue-green algae, which sometimes can release toxins, which are uh, uh, basically uh, a significant, actually, health risk to any kind of um, uh, mammal. And also, uh, a lot, for instance, was done around uh, manganese. Manganese used to be an aesthetic objective under the Canadian Drinking Water Quality Guidelines, and now it actually is a, a regulated parameter with a maximum uh, acceptable concentration. So it has definitely changed. And there are other areas uh, that we need to explore as well. And we have a contract right now with the Center for Water Resources Studies uh, at Dalhousie to re-engage the communities and bring those standards into uh, present uh, context. But any of the other projects that you're working on and how they're um, benefiting Atlantic communities? Yeah, there's a couple of key ones that we, we have underway. Um, actually, we've been working, James and I have been working on them uh, even last year to get them ready. And probably the most important one that we're doing is the development of an asset management plan and the development of a 10-year capital budget for all communities that are interested in uh, participating with the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority. So basically what that entails it's to look at how we can manage our assets on a go-forward basis, again, with that long-term view in, in, in front of us. So let's not just look at it as a, as a year-to-year trying to get funding, but let's look at this now. How do we uh, take a risk-based approach? What resources do we need? How do we document the condition of our assets? How do we maintain our, our, our inventory database? And hopefully over time, make better decisions on priorities for upgrades. 
So once we have that in place, we're also going to work with each uh, individual community to say, what do you need to do over the next 10 years with your system to really bring it up to these levels of service that we want to meet, these higher standards? And what we're going to be asking the uh, consultant to do is basically look at what infrastructure upgrades they need to keep the assets, what we say, in a state of good repair, so they're actually working and not failing all the time. Also to make sure they comply with those regulatory standards I mentioned, the uh, Canadian Drinkwater Quality Guidelines and the um, Municipal Wastewater System Effluent Regulations. And thirdly, very important one for First Nations communities, to look at infrastructure to facilitate growth. And that's one thing we've been all seeing together is significant growth and economic opportunities within First Nations communities. So we want to make sure we look at that uh, at least 10 years out so we can put plans on, in place now so nobody's caught, should we say, flat-footed when all of a sudden somebody comes knocking on the door looking you know, to, to basically um, develop uh, and be a part of the community, not knowing, of course, if there's any capacity for water and wastewater. We want to make sure we look ahead so we don't ever see ourselves uh, caught by surprise by uh, any requests from, from economic development. Yeah, I, and I know right now that a lot of the communities are doing their CPP plans, the comprehensive community plans that are 25-year plans. So um, they would have a good idea of where the development areas are going to be in the future because they're planning, they're doing a 25-year plan. So that might be um, a resource for your, for your people on the ground. Yeah, we fully expect that we're going to engage with communities to you know, receive that kind of information. And we know that some communities, uh, you know, are, are, are we know more, uh, um, I guess, underway in that regard. And I'm pleased to hear that about that, that concept of 25 years, because that also is ultimately where we're going to be looking as well. Uh, we have plans to develop what we call an integrated resource plan after three years of uh, operation. That's our tentative schedule right now, because we want to get up and running first, which actually does indeed do the same thing. It looks ahead to 25, 30 years. And again, document what the longer term needs are. And so I'm very, so, so very pleased actually to hear that, you know, many communities uh, may be involved in that uh, planning already. So we're, we're sure that then we can take advantage of that good work and make sure we put infrastructure in place that will facilitate the, the growth associated with it. I should mention another important project. It does tie to, to assets, but it's more on the operational side. And we also have well underway. Now, this was one of the first projects we, we started last fall, was the development of a SCADA master plan. So I just threw a nice acronym at you that I'm going to have to explain. Uh, so SCADA stands for Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition. And what that is, is basically a software, hardware platform that operators use to monitor and control equipment and instruments that are part of the water and wastewater systems. And these uh, platforms basically monitor what's going on in real time. So basically in a, in a mature system, at every minute you would receive information from different instruments, you know, based on, could be anything from pressure to flow, to temperature, to pH, to reservoir levels, any physical or, or, or chemical attributes that you, you need to keep an eye on. So those are very important for an operator. And we see quite a range of maturity in, in First Nations communities. And this was something we recognized quite some time ago. So in order for us to operate efficiently and effectively, just like the water quality standards I mentioned to bring everybody to a high 
standard of, of operation, we need to have an integrated platform that does that as well for all operators. So again, if somebody again is looking at a screen in Lenox Island or in Millbrook or, or in Tobik or uh, Zebeganekity, they're seeing a same look and feel. They can interpret what they're seeing on their screens and they can support one another because that's the whole aspect of this region utility. We're building capacity so now we can support each other because right now communities are on their own. They've got to rely on expertise from either Digital Services Canada or pay consultants. Well, we expect to bring a lot of that expertise in-house. First Nations staff for First Nations communities. So we hope to build that capacity so we can provide that higher level service and take those standards right across the board uh, to a better place and our operational practices to a better place. That is very exciting to hear. A water monitoring system, that is, wow, that's really, that's really exciting. Um, I think that that will definitely help our communities because I know that in my own community, I'm from Bakkenkeek, um, somebody sees the red light on the water um, regulatory system, whatever, there's a red light. You have to call somebody, hey, there's a red light on. And then somebody goes and, you know, but I love the whole idea of, you yes. can just access it. Yeah, and our future system would actually have as part of that alarm management. So anytime there is something wrong with the system, it sends out alarms through this uh, SCADA uh, system and it's received by uh, operators that can respond. That's excellent, thank you. Um, Woodland Deck First Nation in Chapel, otherwise known as Chapel Island, they've seen national attention for its water situation has been going on for as long as I can remember. Um, have things changed for Budladek? And are they part of the Water Authority? Yeah, they're certainly um, involved with the Water Authority. And uh, as you may or may not know, uh, Chief Wilbert Marshall is the chair of our board. So uh, he's very aware of the activities, of course, of the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority. And as we know, has been a champion for improvements of, of water service, you know, throughout uh, the region, but in particular in his own community. And there's no question that uh, Modeladec has made the news nationally in terms of issues. And of course, interesting enough, it's one of the issues that I just spoke to that are uh, problems, uh, and that is manganese. They've had extensive uh, discolored water with one of the highest concentrations of manganese probably in Atlantic Canada. And the good news is uh, they have certainly lobbied hard for funding from uh, the federal government, and they actually have today a state-of-the-art uh, treatment plant uh, with the latest uh, technology, and now that uh, it's been fully commissioned, and operators are getting into the groove of now optimizing uh, the processes. So the good news is they, they have built the system. Where Atlantic First Nations Water Authority comes in, of course, is to continue to support those operators to make sure that they've got the training and the support uh, to maintain the system in, again, that state of good repair and, uh, and optimized operation. So um, they are well underway, and that's what we're hoping to see, certainly in, in most communities, not only Atlantic Canada, but obviously across this country, these state-of-the-art treatment plants with well-trained operators at the helm. That is great. It's very exciting to hear. And um, my parents are from Budladek, my grandparents. So it's, it's really nice to hear that their, their water situation is going to be alleviated or is getting alleviated. So that's wonderful. Um, is there, are there any other things that you um, want to share with us? Yes, certainly. Um, I mean, you know, some of the issues that we've already been dealing with, uh, as you appreciate, is development of, uh, of governance and, and policies for the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority. So recognizing that uh, we do have a board of directors, one of the first uh, important 
tasks that we did was to develop a governance manual. So we've actually now have a, a very formal governance manual that is basically you know, how a utility or an organization makes decisions. So that is fully entrenched and, and actually for all intents and purposes, a public document and can be shared, you know, far and wide. That is, that's such an important thing that basically is the, the highest level document that we have to dictate how we will operate and have relationship with, uh, with communities. So um, I'm pleased to say you may soon see that uh, with a much more you know, public uh, outward looking uh, document as we launch our website. So one thing I want to let you know is that we're working hard to get our website up and running uh, by uh, basically uh, hopefully no later than the end of May. So we're going to be trying to steer people towards that to learn as much as they can about the water authority because we've got much information to share we've got policies for instance you know hr policies we've got finance and uh, financial procedures uh, policies and we have of course compensation policies is that one thing that, that also i want to make a comment on that we're keen to see we, we believe that anybody that works certainly uh, in with the land first nations water authority should be paid, paid fairly and appropriately. So we've already made inroads with our board to uh, have a policy uh, approved. Our board has also passed a very important policy, and this shouldn't surprise you, uh, uh, Krista, that uh, we will be obviously having preference to hire First Nations um, uh, in this water authority. And we're gonna put an absolute direct offer to all operators that currently work in their communities to join the Atlantic First Nations water authority at the time of the transfer of, of assets from from the communities. So it's, it's, it's done with, with, with goodwill and good intentions and certainly you know, recognition of the skills that they bring to make the utility a better place, but also to make sure we recognize uh, through fair compensation and fair HR uh, support as well, to make sure that they can be supported, but that they can take vacation. Because one of the things you know, we hear consistently from operators, I'm the only operator in, in, in town and if I have to take some vacation, I don't have anybody to look after the system. And many of them, of course, have got a lot of built up uh, vacation that they actually can't take, and that's not fair. So by building capacity through this water authority, if somebody wants to go on vacation in the future, then the neighboring operator in the next town can look after their system for a short period of time and vice versa. So it's about bringing that team to bear and support one another. And that is something that we want to be very intentional about and how we operate our our, uh, our system. I'm sure it would be very welcomed in the communities to have to have that um, to have that support, I guess, and to be able to take vacations. I know my my brother used to be a water operator too, so I remember he was seven days a week, 24 hours a day. He was on call. You bet. And that's uh, there's not much there, should we say, with a work-life balance when you're you're tied to the phone. Uh, all day long, right? And that's uh, that's something we, we need to have operators that basically will be with us in the long term and, and quite frankly, not burn out on the job. We want them to burn brightly, but not burn out. Well, thank you so much. This is all um, so amazing. I'm so happy that you guys got to speak to us today because, um, you know, I've been sharing a little bit of information here and a little bit of information there. And Water is so important to our people. It's one of our major priorities. It's one of the things that we want to protect. So, so I thank you guys for the great work that you're doing, and I look forward to seeing where we're going in the future. Thank you, Krista. And we sure hope you'll check back on a regular basis to see how oh, we're definitely. doing. <laughs> and certainly if you know of good uh, First Nation uh, friends and colleagues that have some interest in working with the utility, we'd sure love for uh, you to 
pass that comment on and hopefully we'll see from them. Absolutely. I'm sharing all of your postings and they're available on our website, apcfnc.ca. And I know you guys are on LinkedIn. So I know I've been getting some, a lot of information that way as well. Awesome. Yeah, we certainly hope to make a stronger presence uh, with social media in the, in the future. And uh, our good friend Adam Gould is working vigorously on that right now, I can assure you. And uh, we're, we're, we're pleased uh, to have him on our team as well to take the, the lead in that. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. you have Thank a great you. Day. Thank you for listening to Indigenous Boom, the new podcast from the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chiefs Secretariat.